Today's scripture comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, if we haven't met yet, my name is Aaron, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Exilic. And if you're joining us for the first time, a few weeks ago, we started a brand new collection of sermons called Winning Your Thought Wars. And um, one of the reasons why we're doing this series called Winning Your Thought Wars, I think, can, can be summarized very nicely uh, by a pastor and author named Craig Groeschel. And Groeschel says that your life, Groeschel says that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So, for example, if your strongest thought right now is, I'm starving because I didn't eat lunch, your life is going to move in the direction of the fridge. If your strongest thought right now is, man, I feel like I'm going to get laid off soon, then your life is going to move in the direction of applying to as many places as possible. If your strongest thought right now is, man, I really want to get married, your life is going to move in that direction where you're going on as many dates as possible. If your strongest thought right now is, I want to live for God, your life is going to move in the direction of living for something bigger than yourself. If your strongest thought is, I want to live for myself, your life is obviously going to move in that direction. But the point is that your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So the question that I want to ask each and every one of us today is this. Do you like the direction that your thoughts are taking you lately? How happy are you with the direction of your life right now? If the answer to that question is not very happy or no, I'm not that happy, maybe it's time to change your mind so you can start changing your life because how you think is going to shape how you live. And today I want to talk about arguably the strongest negative thought uh, that is pervasive in our city, country, and world, and that is the emotion uh, anxiety. There was a survey that was done a few years ago where people were asked the question, what image comes to mind when you hear the word peace? And so some people were like, a meadow. Other people responded by saying, the beach. Other people responded by saying, a creek in the forest. But you know what was glaringly absent uh, when people thought of the word peace? The image that was glaringly absent? People. Not one person associated the word peace with people. And a little over a year ago, the White House wrote this. Our country faces an unprecedented mental health crisis among people of all ages. Two out of five adults report symptoms of anxiety or depression. Even before the pandemic, rates of depression and anxiety were inching higher and higher. But the grief, trauma, and physical isolation of the last two years have driven Americans to a breaking point. 
And honestly speaking, two out of five seems a little bit low. It wouldn't surprise me if it was closer to three out of five today. Because if there is one word that best encapsulates the emotional mood of our generation today, I would say that it is the word anxiety. And the, the, the tricky thing about anxiety is that it's not just an individual thing. Anxiety is very much a systemic thing as well that we feel. So for example, it can begin as early as our family of origin. So when your over-controlling parents are saying things like, watch out for that, don't touch that, did you do this yet? It creates like anxiety in our life. And then when we get to high school, did you study for the SATs? And if you don't get a good score, you can't go to a good college. And then if you can't go to a good college, you're not going to get a good job and you're never going to be successful. And then you feel anxiety. And then when you get a little bit older, it's like, hey, when are you going to get married? I want to be like a grandmother already. How old are you? And so you start to feel anxiety again. And so we feel anxiety from our family of origin, but it's not just our family of origin. Every time we check our phones for the news or we're on social and we hear about this virus, it's like anxiety. Uh, we hear about another war, anxiety. We hear about an earthquake that has killed 40,000 people, anxiety. You hear about your coworker that just got laid off, anxiety. And so systemically, even in our culture and our world, uh, it puts anxiety upon us too. And so it's very understandable why study after study shows that we are the most anxious generation in all of history. And as we take a look at this text in 1 Peter, I also want you to know that the earliest Christians also understood anxiety. What's fascinating is that in this very short letter that Peter writes, Peter uses the word suffering or its equivalent at least 12 times uh, in this short letter. And the reason why the earliest Christians experienced suffering and anxiety was because uh, there was this tyrannical megalomaniac and emperor named Nero where he outlawed Christianity. And so there was a physical cost for following Jesus in the first century world. And historians, uh, even in the first century, write that the earliest followers of Jesus, if they were caught, had wax poured upon them and were lit up like candlesticks. It was said that when you looked outside at Rome at night, where there were no street lamps, the entire city would be lit up. But it wouldn't be lit up with street lamps. It would be lit up with Christians that were set on fire. And so you can see how the physical cost of following Jesus led to an emotional and mental cost for following Jesus as well. Uh, about 25 years ago, when I first went to China, I, uh, I smuggled Bibles into China. And I remember when I was at the airport and they were scanning my luggage, like I remember my heart was like racing because you weren't allowed to smuggle Bibles into China. Uh, about 20 years ago, when I went back for a, a few years, uh, because I was going to go for a, a long time, I brought these things with me called uh, cassette tapes, for the two of you that remember. And they had uh, John Piper sermons on it, because I, I couldn't go to church uh, in China, right? So I wanted these Piper sermons to like, you know, help me out throughout the, the course of these two years. And I had a bag full of cassette tapes. 
And I remember when I was at the airport, they, uh, they opened my bag and they were like, follow me. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so they took my bag and they began to listen to every single cassette tape that I had. I'm like 22, 23 years old. And I was the last one that was let out of the airport. My heart was racing with anxiety. But deep down inside, I knew that because I could flash this thing called an American passport, deep down I knew that I wasn't going to die or anything. First century Christians didn't, didn't have the luxury of flashing an American passport. There was actually a physical cost for following Jesus, which also led to them experiencing a lot of mental and emotional anguish as well. And, look, and yet, listen to what Peter says in verse 7. He writes this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Greek word for anxiety is a combination of two words. The Greek word for anxiety is marimnon, but the two words that compose marimnon are marizo and nos. Marizo literally means to tear or to rip apart. Nos means your mind. So marimnon then means to rip apart or to tear apart your mind or a dynamic translation of anxiety could also be that your thoughts are in a thousand pieces or you feel very scatterbrained. And so oftentimes when we experience anxiety, our thoughts look like this next image where we're not thinking about the right things, but we're thinking about like a million other things. And we ha when we have anxiety, it doesn't take a psychologist to know that when we experience anxiety, it's going to do something to us. Okay? It's going to create an edginess about you. You will probably lose some sleep. You're going to be impatient with other people, and, and you might not be fully present. Someone could be talking to you, but you're not really listening to what they're saying. And the reason for that, again, is that your thoughts are ripped apart and torn into a thousand uh, different pieces. And so what Peter says here is that rather than carrying your own anxiety, what Peter says is that we are called to cast all of our anxieties on God. Not just some or half or three-quarter, but all of our anxieties, we're called to cast them on God. And what does it mean to cast something? Well, think about casting a fishing line. What are you doing? You're throwing something to something else. And what Peter is saying here is that we are called to cast all of our anxieties uh, on God. And the reason why this is so important is because if you are not good, if you don't get into the habit of casting your anxieties on God, you know what's going to happen? You are going to cast your anxieties on other people. Okay, Your inner life, it will always leak out into uh, your outer life. So Pete Scazzaro has a very good and helpful example of how we do this to other people. So uh, in the next image, we have some uh, transmission towers or electrical towers that we've all seen before. What do these transmission towers do? They transmit an, uh, electricity through the cables. Okay? And so this is similarly what we do with our anxiety. We take the anxiety that we're experiencing and we transmit it to other people. Okay, so our inner life will always leak out into our outer life. This is why whenever you're around someone that has anxiety, you can feel it, right? You can feel the anxiety that is coming off of, radiating off of them. 
But what's also interesting about this picture is that it not only has cables, but it has these white things that almost look like light bulbs. Those are transformers. You know what transformers do? They take the electricity that they're receiving and they lower the voltage. And what Scazzaro says is that as followers of Jesus, rather than transmitting our anxiety to other people, we are called to be transformers of anxiety. Or with the anxiety we experience or other people give to us, we lower the voltage of that electricity, we lower the voltage of that anxiety, and instead we release peace uh, to the world that is uh, around us. And so this is why Pastor David intentionally said during our greeting time today, you know, where we say hello, uh, he called it passing the peace. Historically, the church has always called this time not passing the anxiety to one another, but historically it has always been called passing the peace of Christ to one another. So in John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives, one of which is anxiety, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah writes this, you keep him in perfect peace uh, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So one of the best gifts that you can give to other people that are around you, one of the best gifts you can give to other people is by simply being a non-anxious presence to others. One of the worst things that you can give to other people is being a very anxious presence. Okay, so your inner life will always leak out into your outer uh, world. Uh, so we are called to be transformers of anxiety, not transmitters of anxiety. Maya Angelou uh, famously said, uh, people will never rem remember what you say, which stinks if you're a preacher. Uh, people will never remember what you say. You're not going to remember my three points. People will never remember even what you do for them to a certain degree. But people will always remember how you made them feel. When people are around you, how do they experience you? Do they experience anxiety radiating off you? Or do they actually experience the peace of God that is radiating off of you? Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, you're right, I do have anxiety, but my poker face is strong. So I'm pretty good at hiding my emotions, and I don't wear my emotions on my sleeve. Perhaps. Perhaps you can, perhaps you can do that. But I will tell you this. If you are not actively casting your anxieties on God, and you're not casting your anxieties on other people, you know what the alternative is? Is you carrying your, your anxieties all by yourself. And if you go down that road, I promise you, that is a very difficult and hard life. And respectfully speaking, your shoulders are not broad enough to handle that weight. In Proverbs, uh, the author writes this, 1225, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. So a few uh, months ago, I was at Trader Joe's because uh, our fridge was totally empty. And so we needed, we needed to stock up for the week. And so usually when I go to Trader Joe's, it's, it's about a four-block walk, and I always bring my backpack with me. And so I, I remember going to Trader Joe's, put my backpack on, and then I was pushing that red cart. 
And we had, we had like no food or anything. So I'm getting like a half gallon of milk, bananas, oranges, like Idaho, a sack of Idaho potatoes. And I'm thinking, this is, this is gonna be heavy, you know? But we had no food. So I'm getting like ground beef and like a cantaloupe. And I remember, I remember going up to the cashier and, and telling him, um, would you mind like putting some of the heavier stuff in my backpack? And he was, he was like, sure. So he put like a, a cantaloupe in there. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then he puts in the half gallon of milk. And then he puts in a sack of potatoes and then a sack of, and then I had so much stuff that he was like, can I put the rest in the paper bag? And I was, I was like, sure. And so he's like putting like, you know, like a jar of peppers and stuff like that in that paper bag. But then because I had so much stuff, he was like, can I get another paper bag? And I was like, sure. And so he starts putting that, all the groceries in that paper bag. And so after I paid for it, I remember I grabbed my backpack and I swung it around and I was like, oh my gosh, even this is so heavy. And then I, I grabbed the one paper bag with my right hand, the other paper bag with my left hand, and I'm like, how am I going to do this? And it just so happens that, you know, Physical 100 was just starting, so I'm like, this is my, this is my competition right here. I'm not going to put these down once, and I'm walking down four blocks, and I just remember feeling the, the weight, the weight of this food on my shoulders. And I remember coming home and just like tripping, Dripping in sweat. These are like bananas. <laughs> you know, anxiety? A lot heavier than just bananas. Every time you have an anxious thought about something, you are putting a cinder block on your shoulders. You're putting a cinder block in your backpack. Every time you have an anxious thought about your life, your career, about tomorrow. What, what, what does Oswald Chambers say? Anxiety is contemplating our future without God in it. Or as another person said, warriors are visionaries without optimism. And every time we do things like that, intentionally putting a cinder block on our shoulders. Can you feel the weight of that? How heavy has your life been recently? Because I will tell you this, when you are carrying your own anxieties, you are carrying a weight that God never intended for you to carry. Which is why he says here, cast all your anxieties on me. Don't transmit it to other people, don't even carry it yourself, but cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. Now, the question is, how do we do that? How do we cast our anxieties on God? And if you read verse 6, it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So part of the reason why we don't cast our anxieties on God is because there is kind of a lack of humility. And, by, and what I mean by that is that there's a tendency for us to be very self-overly reliant. So I don't know if you're like me, but I hate burdening other, uh, burdening other people. I hate asking other people for help because I don't want to disrupt their lives. So I would rather just carry my weight by myself. But when you do that to a certain degree, it is a form of pride. It is a form of self-reliance. It is a lack of humility. 
What's fascinating about this text is that God is the one friend in your life that actually says, give me your burdens. Like, give me all your anxieties. Give me all your issues. Give me all your problems. But what's so fascinating about us is that we're unwilling to do so. Even your best of friends, they do have a limited bandwidth. There's a threshold that your friends have because they are not God. There's a finiteness about their emotional mental bandwidth. And at a certain point, you're going to be draining on them, even the best of friends. But God is the one friend in your life that says, give it all to me. All your anxieties, all your worries, all your burdens, all your fears, give it to me. And you know what? I have the shoulders that can actually handle it. The irony, of course, is that we don't often do it. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, uh, Paul writes this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. What's interesting about this verse, which those of you who grew up in the church have probably seen a dozen times or more, is that Peter or Paul juxtaposes anxiety and prayer. Isn't that interesting? And so what he's saying here is that the opposite of prayer is not prayerlessness. The opposite of prayer is actually anxiety. The reason why we experience anxiety is because we don't pray and we don't actively cast our anxieties upon God. A lack of prayer is our declaration of independence from God. But a prayerful life is our declaration of dependence on God. When you experience anxiety, you're turning up the dials on worry, edginess, fear. And you're turning down the dial on God's peace over your life. So last year, I was experiencing, um, around November-ish, I was experiencing a good amount of anxiety in my life. So I prayed. And, you know, one of the interesting things about prayer is that as you speak with God, uh, He does speak to your heart as well, uh, if you're quiet enough to hear His whisper. And I remember I was praying, and I... um, As I was praying about the anxieties I was feeling, I felt like God was telling me, as we wrap up this year, and as you head into another year, I want you not to care more than I care about stuff, but I don't want you to care less than I care about stuff either. Now, I don't know about your temperament, but my temperament is to overly care about everything. I care like too much about everything. Like everything is like super, super important, right? And what does that create in me when I care more about stuff than even God cares about it? You know what that creates in me? Anxiety. On the other hand, I don't want to be the kind of person that's like, screw it. I don't don't care. If God doesn't care, I'm not going to care about this either. Like, screw it. I'm not going to do that either because you know what that is? That's jadedness. That's cold-bloodedness. I want to care as much as God cares about stuff, and I don't want to care less than God cares about stuff. I want to care like he cares. And what I can control, I can control, and what I can't control, I can't control either. There's something about prayer when we do this that helps us process our thoughts, and it actually gives us a sober mind as we pray. Okay? So it's no coincidence that in verse 8, Peter writes this, be alert 
and of sober mind as he's talking about anxiety. Uh, An the- Australian theologian that I really um, like named Mark Sayers uh, was talking about how um, he gives this illustration. He says, imagine you're in a movie theater and the room is packed but it's com- and it's completely dark and then all of a sudden smoke begins to permeate throughout the room. So someone stands up and yells, fire! And just like that, anxiety spreads like a virus throughout the room. Pandemonium. Everyone's going crazy. And and the problem is the exit lights are not working for whatever reason. So everyone's going crazy, not knowing where to go. And then all of a sudden, someone stands up from one of the rows, a regular customer and civilian, not wearing a proper uniform. They come and stand up and they say, hey, everyone, there is a fire. But the exit is this way. Let's exit quietly and yet efficiently to the exit so we can all be safe. Now, who do you think that people are going to look to as a leader? Is it the person that's crazy on fire, transmitting anxiety everywhere? Or is it the person with a non-anxious presence that displays peace and transmits peace to everyone? Who do you think people are going to look to as a leader? It's the person that is the most non-anxious presence, not the person that is the most anxious presence. When we experience anxiety, we are drunk on worry and fear. It is the opposite of being sober-minded and thinking clearly. Someone once said this, my life, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine who uh, a few weeks ago, and he, and he called me up because there was a particular issue at his church that he was very nervous and anxious about. And so we talked about it, and then we prayed, and he said, you know, could you, could you keep praying? And um, a couple days later, um, I saw him again, and I was like, hey, how did, how, did the, how did the thing go? You know what he said? He was like, it went great. I don't know what I was so worried about. Most of the things that we actually worry about don't actually come true. One study at Cornell actually said that it was something closer to 80% of the stuff that we worry about don't actually come to fruition. And even when it does, most of us felt like we were able to handle, handle the situation better than we thought. Worry and anxiety are not good coping mechanisms for us to handle life. When was the last time you ever said, thank God I had anxiety and worry, otherwise things wouldn't have turned out well? When was the last time you said that? On the other hand, when was the last time you said, thank goodness things turned out okay, I don't know what I was so worried about? More often than not, it looks like that. Now, because we're body and soul, there are times where we do need medication for our anxiety. And I know that in a room like this and at this size, that there are probably people in our room that are taking medication for anxiety, which can help a great deal. But as a pastor, what I also want to say is that we not only need medication for our bodies, but there are also times where we need medication for our souls uh, as well when we're experiencing anxiety. In verse 8, Peter writes, be alert and of sober mind. And interestingly, he says this, your enemy, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Fascinating that Peter talks about having a sober mind, and then he talks about the devil. And when you think about one of the ways that the devil attacks us, certainly it could be physically, like in the first century world, or in places like North Korea, etc. But more often than not, the way that the devil attacks us is not physically so much as it is mentally and emotionally. So it's no coincidence that the devil is often referred to, as John would write in his gospel, as the father of lies. There is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks his native language. And what is a lie? Is it a physical attack? No. It's a mental attack. And one of the ways that the devil mentally attacks us is with our idols. Where if I don't get this thing, the devil will say, if you don't get this thing, no one will respect you. You're not going to be anything. Or if you lose this thing and this idol's threatened in any way, you're a nobody. And I promise you, you're never going to be happy if something, if you lose this thing. And so we buy into these lies hook, line, and sinker. And as a result of these lies in our heads, we experience anxiety. And most of the time, it's attached to our idols. That we, need, we, we either need to have it or it can be taken away from us. But what does God say? He doesn't give us anxiety. He doesn't give us lies. But he gives us his peace. And he gives us his assurance. Um, in verse 7, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And I think the, bit, the best picture of care is actually the cross. If there is one person that understood pressure and sleepless nights, it was Jesus. The night before he hung on the cross, while all of his disciples were sleeping, Jesus was wide awake. And the reason why Jesus was wide awake was because it was a pressure-filled moment. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is on his knees because of this pressure moment, pressure-filled moment, and he's praying to God and he's saying, God, if there is any other way to save this world from its sins, let me know because I'd rather not go down this path, the cross. But if this is the only way to save this world from its sin, then this is the road that I will go down. You can imagine the pressure of that moment and his sleepless night that night. But on the cross, you know what he does? He goes on the cross and he takes all of our sins upon his shoulders. He takes your sins and he casts it upon himself to forgive us for all of our sins. And I think if Jesus were bodily here right now, you know what he would say to us? You know what he would say to you? If I took on all your sins, what makes you think I can't take on all your anxieties? If I cast all your sins upon myself, what makes you think you can't cast all your anxieties on me? If I took your sins and nailed it to the cross, I can do the same thing with all the deepest anxieties that you feel inside of your heart as well. Jesus is the one friend that wants your burdens, your anxieties, and your fears. But I want you to imagine a world for a moment where there is no God who cares about you at all. And Andy Bannister says this, imagine you're down on your luck. Life has dealt you a series of terrible hands 
and nothing seems to be going your way. You've recently lost your job. A letter from your bank has arrived declaring you bankrupt. The doctor's surgery has just rung to inform you that those worrying headaches are actually Crutzfeldt Jakob disease. Life is really sucky. However, have no fear. Put all that aside, fret no more, for there is hope. There is, I hear you cry. Yes, there is, because there is no God. There's nobody out there who is ultimately going to help with any pulling. You're alone in a universe that cares as little about you and your enjoyment as it does about the fate of the amoeba, the ant, or the aardvark. There's no hope. There's no justice. Life favors the winners. Some get the breaks, and others get the sticky end of the stick. At best, secularism is survival of the fittest. At best. Where some people really get lucky, and you know what? Most of us don't. But you know, in Christianity, we have a God that deeply cares about us, that is even willing to die for us as well who loves us from the depths of our hearts all the way to the stars. Psalm 94, the psalmist writes this, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. And I think what the psalmist is saying here is this, it might not be okay. It may never be okay. But you know what? I'm going to be okay. It may never get okay or get better, it, but I know that I'm going to be okay in the end because of what he has done for me. And when you understand his presence, when you lean into his presence, when you lean into his peace more and more, we can become agents of healing and peace for those around us rather than transmitters of anxiety in the world that we live in. So one of the things that I want you to do today and as you start your Monday morning Every day, this exercise, breathe in his peace, exhale your anxieties. Every day, lean into his friends, breathe in his peace and his presence in your life, exhale all your anxieties on him. And when you do that, you can do what Victor Hugo, the writer of Les Mis, said when he wrote this. Go to sleep in peace because God is awake. So you can either cast your anxieties on others, you can carry your anxiety yourself, or you can cast your anxieties on a God that deeply loves you and cares for you. But that choice is ultimately up to you. Let's pray together. Lord, would you um, help us to humble ourselves and to give you our anxieties? Um, I can only imagine the weight uh, that is in this room alone, but help us to remember that when we experience anxiety, we are carrying a weight that you never intended us to carry. And so help us to feel lighter. Help us to cast our anxieties on you. Help us to live more freely and more peacefully 
without suffering from this weight uh, that we oftentimes so tend to experience. Give us your peace. In your name I pray.